Amen. Guys, would you grab hold of a Bible this morning and make your way to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. We are working verse by verse through the book of first, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians here in, on Sunday mornings and longing uh, that God would be meeting you through His Word as we pick up and just kind of continue uh, diving into this and being in the midst of that study. So hopefully you, have, you brought a Bible and you're heading there now. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front of you, a page number on the screen. You can grab one of those. Uh, you're welcome to open it up in, a, in an app. If it's on an electronic device that works best for you, one way or another, have the Word of God before you. That's true in here. If you're on our overflow or you're online, same invitation. We invite you to have a copy of the Scriptures, to open it up, and really with the desire that you would understand, and God would speak to you this morning through His Word, believing that's what we need, believing that's who He is. Let's take a moment and even ask for that. Ask that He would speak to us. I'll lead you in prayer, but I hope you would pray as well, just asking God to speak to you where you are this morning. Father, we think about this moment, just an opportunity to study your word together. And I think about your word, it is good. I think about how powerful it is and how you told us that your word doesn't return to you void, that it comes forth and it goes forth and it accomplishes the purposes for which you've sent it. God, I'm asking for that. I'm asking that you would help us to hear. The purposes, the understanding of your word, I pray that you would open up our comprehension. But then you and your greatness would make perfect application. That you'd help it to, to land and work into our lives where you can do it so much more clearly, better than any could, far beyond. Lord, meet us this morning, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive, that which you would have for us. I ask for it for me and for each of us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Hey, that was part of the song we just sang. I like it, but you know, I don't know about you, I struggle a little bit because that almost sounds pretty. I mean, sorrows like sea billows, it just sounds like maybe some lovely scene, but that's not what it's supposed to be picturing. The idea of sea billows rolling is crashing of waves and, 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 and terrifying in some ways in the midst of it. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe you've stood there on an ocean shore and you waded out into the ocean a little farther than you thought you intended to, and then a wave came bigger than you anticipated. And there it was, and it comes crashing down on you, and in a moment, you're upended. Like your feet have lost its space, and you're kind of, you know, flailing around trying to get yourself righted up. And as soon as you start to let your feet down again, another wave hits and, and, and knocks you silly again. And, and there you are spending, and it's getting a little bit more panic, and again you're trying to get your feet, and then another wave hits. That's the picture. It's like this wave upon wave upon wave. And if you've ever been in that moment, it can be terrifying. You don't even know what's way is upside, upright, upright in the midst of it, and, and you find yourself just panicking and, and fearful. It's a real space. Happens to some of us, maybe many of us, but it happens in life. Life sometimes finds itself in moments where sorrow can be so real and overwhelming. 
where just it can press in on our lives. But what we know, what we've been learning here in 2 Corinthians, is that's exactly where our God meets us, that He is a God who comforts us in everything that we go through. Hey, let's go back and read it. You got your Bibles there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Would you go back to verse 3 with me and kind of just see the weight that began the section that we're talking about this morning? He says it in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Wow. I mean, I don't know how much that lands. I hope you've been with us the last couple of weeks to get those. If not, I would invite you back to, see, to catch them online, get them on YouTube or on our app. But we've been unpacking this incredible greatness of who our God is. Blessed be like our amazing, glorious God, who is a God of comfort, who is a God of mercy, and He comforts us in all of our tribulation. That when we go through things that press, weight, crush our lives, He is faithful. He is a God who comforts. And we've talked about comfort over the last couple of weeks, that it's the idea of one who comes alongside us and speaks strength, hope, and life into us. So we covered that reality a few weeks back. Then last week, we saw how that should change our perspective, how that if you really believe it, it'll change the way you see your life and your trials. And again, just incredibly good truth. But then Paul recognizes, God recognizes sometimes, uh, you know, truth is great, but sometimes exhibit A, like putting it on display, is really helpful. Giving us an example of how that works is really, really good. And so that's exactly where we are. We find ourselves this morning in a section that is now Paul going to help us see how God did this very thing in his life. So now dive on down to verse 8, the beginning of our section this morning. Here, Paul writes it this way, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, our tribulation, if you've been tracking with us, it's the same word, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Pause there. Paul just wants to bring us into a perspective of just actual trouble. I mean, actual tribulation that literally happened in his life. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of it, that it happened to him while they were in Asia. Oh, not modern-day Asia, Asia Minor uh, in those days, modern-day Turkey in that area, in places where Paul was moving through, just bringing the gospel, taking the gospel into, into regions that where it hadn't been known before. But somewhere in the midst of that, he entered into a season that was incredibly crushing. In fact, you see the words, he uses three phrases to describe it. He says that, we, you know, says our trouble, which came to us in Asia, verse 8, that we were burdened beyond measure, that there was this weight that was just immeasurable that came upon them, that it was literally above their ability to handle, that it was beyond their strength, so that they despaired, he despaired, even of life. Well, we want to understand these three phrases, and we're going to walk through them in just a minute. But before we get that, let's kind of just gaze at this and answer the question that some of you would be asking right now. Some of you are reading this and go, so, so what happened? Like, what are we talking about? What, what, what took place in Paul's life that brought him into this space? 
Well, it doesn't say in the text. And Bible students have studied this, and there's lots of different thoughts and theories. I mean, we could look through Paul's life that's recorded in Acts that he's going to talk about even later in 2 Corinthians, and we would recognize it's not like there's only one place to choose from. I mean, there were places where he was left for dead. There were places where he was shipwrecked. There were places where he was in prison. I mean, so many different spaces. And yet, one of the interesting things about it is that we're not able to lock it down. That no, no, There's no way to be able to say, hey, that we know beyond a, doubt, a shadow of a doubt that what Paul is describing here in 2 Corinthians is a specific one of those events. Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment. I recognize for a couple of you that's going to be troubling because, you know, we, we like to know. Inquiring minds like to know. We're like, well, what happened? You know, like, I want to know. Um, but it's not recorded, and there's no way to get exactly for sure what that is. But I like it because I've become very aware that when the Holy Spirit does this, when he lays this out but doesn't let us connect some of the dots that we're wanting to connect, it leaves it in a space that instead of it being uh, less clear, it becomes more applicable. It becomes something that in that sense that it fully applies in all of our lives. Because here's how it would work. If we knew exactly the situation that Paul was going through, we would kind of find ourselves thinking, well, you know, if you're going through that kind of situation, that makes sense. I mean, but it surely doesn't apply in other spaces, but we don't get to make that connection. We don't get to say, hey, this is what was taking place. This was the trial that Paul was going through. We don't know that. All we know is how it felt. All we know is his description of what it felt like going through that trial. And that's what we're going to be invited to see. That's what we're going to be invited to kind of recognize that, which, by the way, is a pretty amazing thing. Uh, you know, there are some uh, of us who are really, really good at sharing just kind of things that we're going through. You know, you know how that works. Some people can just really do that. And then there are others of us that, boy, it's like pulling teeth uh, to ever get anybody to share anything. That's more like the Apostle Paul. Like you read through most of his letters and you're like, okay, I just, you know, he's just, he's just very kind of clear and you don't really get a behind the scenes kind of perspective. Second Corinthians is different. Second Corinthians, uh, by the, the work of the Spirit, Paul's going to say, I'm going to let you see. I'm going to let you see what was happening underneath the surface. I, I'm going to let you see what I was going through. And so he does so in a way that helps us get a glimpse of that perspective. That perspective where he says he was burdened above measure, beyond strength and despaired of life. Well, let's unpack those very quickly. So we think about burdened beyond measure. It is actually a really powerful phrase that simply has the idea of absolutely overwhelmed absolutely, completely, immeasurably, excessively crushing. It's the kind of idea, it's like, this was no small thing. I mean, this thing, it was, like, you couldn't even put weight to it. You couldn't even kind of, it was beyond what words can describe. In his perspective, it's like, this is overwhelming. This is overwhelming. This is massive. This is, this is something that is absolutely huge in that sense, burdened beyond measure. Like, you couldn't put a measure to it. You couldn't put a weight to it. In fact, he adds to it that it wasn't just beyond measure, it was above strength. That's probably a space we ought to just pause for a second. It is actually a question that sometimes Christians have, sometimes in the midst of this. Does God ever do that? Does God ever let us be in a situation that is more than we can bear? 
Well, here's what I want you to think through. I don't want you to think it through biblically and clearly. I mean, we know some things. We know what it tells us, for example, in 1 Corinthians, where it says, No temptation has overtaken you, except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Hey, God will never let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But let's just be biblically clear. A temptation and a trial are not always the same thing. Uh, sometimes they go hand in hand. Sometimes they go hand in hand, but not always. God promises you that there'll never be a space that you have to sin. That if you're a child of God, He will never put you in a situation where there's no way out for you, where there's no option for you to do the right thing. He will always help you to be able to overcome sin. That's what Second, First Corinthians is talking about when it gives this. It's not just talking about the trials of life. It's not just in that space. And, and we could look at it, and we could maybe be uh, accurate and say, well, you know, here's the thing. I mean, we know what Paul would say, for example, in Philippians, that we could do all things through Christ. That's true. In Christ, there's not anything that we could go through that he wouldn't be enough for. But here's, again, the idea. In our own strength, we're not. In our own strength, it's not. In fact, let me just even be more simple. It felt like it was above his strength. Whether it was or not, you know, I'll let people debate that in those days. I just want to tell you that Paul is writing, and he says, it was too hard for me to handle. It was too much for me. It was too big. It was crushing me, and I, it was bigger than I could handle. And that's what Paul is saying about the situation. That's what he is, you know, kind of articulating in the midst of that. And it's the Holy Spirit kind of riding it into this whole space where it lets us know there are spaces that feel that way. That, that just you could sit there and say, hey, this, this is how it feels. This is how it feels. This is what it's looking like. Now, let me kind of add to that, just a quick understanding. So we're going to be learning again this morning. We're going to be talking about how God comforts us, and, and then we're going to talk about how God can comfort other people through our comfort. That's, again, the understanding in the midst of it. So let me just say this very kindly. I hope lovingly, uh, but I hope a little bit correctively. Um, if you're one of those people that believe this, that believe, hey, God will never give us more than we can bear, can I just tell you, I'm not sure that's theologically true, and let me tell you something else. It is not comforting. I don't know, I mean, maybe you, maybe you're sitting here this morning, it's like, well, it totally comforts me, but I'm just gonna tell you from talking to people to, to walk into situations myself, when you're going through a dark night and things are terrible, and somebody comes and tells you, oh, God's never gonna give you more than you can handle, it is it is not the most comforting thing to hear. It almost is insulting. It's almost like just piling on. It feels like it's too much for me to handle. Thank you very much. You know, I mean, that's what, it's, it's what Paul is saying. That's how I see it right now. And just, I should tell you, it's not a helpful thing. It's usually somebody looking from the outside, and it's not a truth. So let's be done with some of these silly things that we give that are not really comfort and understand, hey, for, for, there can be spaces that just feel overwhelming. They feel beyond your strength. They feel outside of it. Certainly, that's where Paul was. In fact, he adds to it. Go there again in verse 8. He says, I want you to know about the trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. We felt like we were going to die. We felt like we were going to die. It has the idea of staring death in the face. That's kind of maybe our modern vernacular for it. It's the kind of space where you look at something and you think, I think this is how I die. 
I, I, I think this is where I'm going to, this is going to be the space that is the end of me. I mean, I'm looking at something right now and, and, I, and I'm gazing at it. Now, as we process that through, let me come at it from a couple directions. It can't actually be true. I mean, it could actually have been a physical thing. I mean, Paul might literally have been, you know, where they were getting ready to stone him, or they were getting, and he may have looked at it and think, I think this is how I'm going to die. I mean, like, I think this right here is going to be that. And let's, again, just be honest for a moment. I don't know how honest you are with it, but that's in front of you. There's not anybody here this morning that we're looking at life thinking, What's well, really great. I'm, it's never going to have to be something I go through. Now, I hope we get raptured. I mean, believe me, I'm hoping that happens for my life and yours as well, but it's still going to end. And maybe for some of us, uh, you know, that moment of death will happen so quickly that we don't even have to walk through that moment. But for many of us, maybe even most of us, it's probably going to happen. There's probably going to be some space where you're in and you'll look at it and you'll think, huh, I'm about to die. This is my end. This is, this is what's going to go through. And I don't know how you feel about that. Now, again, please understand Paul's perspective. He is not saying that he's afraid to die. Uh, you know, not that sometimes that can happen for people, and I don't mean any condemnation by it, but the Bible's really, really clear. For, if we're believers, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's going to be a good thing. I don't know where you are with it. I know that. But I'm going to also be honest with you. I'm not necessarily excited about the process. Um, it's not like I'm thinking, well, I just, that's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I, I look at it and think, you know, there are things just like, okay, you know, I'm glad it's going to be on the other side, but the process of it, that is a little bit. Um, like, I don't know, if, and, and, and there's a moment when you can be in spaces. Maybe it's happened to you. For some of you, it has. It was in a doctor's office, and you sat there, and then the doctor began reading the reports and told you things uh, as cancer or something else, and then you looked, and you thought, okay, is this it? Is this my end? Is this my end? I mean, you looked at it and you really thought that. Or maybe it happened in a terrifying moment. Maybe you were in a car and you were driving, and one of those moments where all of a sudden, if you've been in one of those accidents, where life seems to almost slow down and flashes before your eyes and, and moves into the midst of that space, where you found yourself in that moment thinking, I'm about to die. Like, this is where I end. Like, Right here is, is where this is going to take place. I just want to tell you, those are terrifying things. I mean, if that's not a, 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 just an understanding, and, and yet here's the thing. We're all going to face that. We're all going to go through something like that in, in some space or another, and Paul says, that's where I was. I mean, I was looking at it, and I was like, I was staring death in the face. I was looking and thinking, I'm about to die. I'm about to go through this, and sometimes that can be a physical reality. But sometimes it's not physical. Sometimes it's a little bit more emotional, and I don't want to make light of that. There are spaces where you can get to where it's just overwhelming, and you find yourself thinking, I don't, I don't think I can make it. I, I, I think this, this, is, this, is, this is beyond my, I, I'm done. I'm out. Like, God, take me home. I mean, it's not suicidal. It's not in that place that God would have us never to go, but there are places where you're like, God, I'm done. I, I just can't do this. It's too much. Take me out. I mean, I'm, I, I want to go. There are spaces where that can happen, and it's not an uncommon reality within the midst of God's people. For Paul, he felt like it was done. In fact, notice how he says it. He says it there again in verse 8. He says, you know, we were in this place where we despaired even of life, and he adds to it in verse 9, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. 
pause and just feel it for a moment, you probably understand it, but it might just be helpful to think it through. The sentence of death, it's kind of a legal picture. It's kind of the idea of imagining being in a courtroom, and so, you know, you go through a trial, and the jury or the, te- the testimonies are made, and then finally the verdict is landed. And, 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 and they make the verdict, and the verdict is guilty, death penalty. There's a moment where that gavel decision comes down. You're dead. You're going to die. And from that moment, from where that happens to where it literally happens, you're kind of on death row. And I recognize in our weird kind of judicial system, that can last for decades in our, in our world, but not so in that culture. So just understand, it's like the sentence has been passed. The decision is already down. I'm, I'm dying. I mean, this is, gonna be, this is going to be that space where life ends for me. That's how Paul felt. That's how Paul felt. He's in this incredibly difficult space where it is overwhelming, where it was beyond him, where he felt like he was going to die, and he's just bringing us into that, into a space where those realities were the realities that were pressing on his heart, and it's something you and I are meant to understand. In fact, catch the early words of it. Go back to verse 8, catch it how he says it. He says, for I do not want you to be ignorant brethren of our trouble." I do not want you to be ignorant. It's an invitation that you don't have to be ignorant. Now, it's kind of a funny thing for me. I probably have a weird sense of humor, but I, I read that, and I've come to the conclusion, every time God says that, it's like, oh, oh yeah, that, that's where people are ignorant. He, he does it over and over. In fact, there's like five times in, in the New Testament where God says, hey, don't be ignorant. Like, don't be ignorant. And the interesting thing about these five is these are the very places where there is so much ignorance in the body of Christ. So let me just kind of walk you through them. He tells us, for example, in Romans 12, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of God's plans for Israel. Yeah, that, that, you know, the blindness in part has happened to them for now. It's not the way it's always going to stay. And yet there's a huge ignorance among this in God's people today. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant in 1 Thessalonians 4 of the rapture of the church. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant how this is going to happen, how we're going to meet the Lord together in the air. He says, I don't want you to not understand that. He tells us in 1 Corinthians, like, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts, of the work of the Spirit and how that works in the midst of it. He's going to tell us in the next chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that we're not to be ignorant of Satan's plans or condemnation. And then we get this one in 1 Corinthians where he's telling us that we're not to be ignorant of these really deep times of affliction. Now, again, I don't know if it makes any sense to you, but I, I just want to tell you, if you know anything about what's happening in our church in the world today, you would look and go, uh-huh. Like, those are some of the biggest areas of, of confusion and, and, and where people are confused about these things, but please hear it from God. He's like, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be. He, he literally kind of prefaces it with his desire, a compassionate, loving desire, and says, if that's where you are, that's not what I want you to be. And he's inviting us out of it. He's inviting us out of a space where we would be ignorant. Now, that's true in all of those, but that's true here. So we're thinking about this really kind of upended space in the Apostle Paul's life, a place where the world feels upside down, where what some have called is a dark night of the soul, some space where it was incredibly hard. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant that those are real thanks in our lives. It was real for him, and for most of us, it will be spaces that we walk through in one way or another. In fact, I like the way Peter would write it. He would say it in 1 Peter. He says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. 
well said. I mean, just well worded. He says, when you get into one of those things and it's a fiery trial, like it's an overwhelming, like things are on fire burning and it's destroying, I don't want you to get there and go, this, I, I had no idea that this could happen. What a strange thing. Like, like what a weird, it's like, no, I, this is, the, we, we know where we are. We know the world we're living in. We know what that is. And he's inviting us not to be into a space where that finds us unaware. Think about it this way. If you're a student of the Bible, you would scan through the scriptures and you would find it's actually not an uncommon thing. I think about someone like Elijah the prophet, this brave, bold man that stands for God up on Mount Carmel, but a few days after that finds himself running from Jezebel, and in such a dark night of his soul, he finds himself praying. He prayed that he might die, and he said, Lord, it's enough. Lord, just take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I mean, he's just there. He's like, God, I'm done. Like, I, 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 just take me home. Just, I'm a, just take me out because it's just too much for me. Hey, that's actually not uncommon. Had we time, I could take you through Scripture. I could show you Moses when he was in such a space. I could show you David who was in that space over and over again, writing so many of the Psalms when he talks about, God, where are you? Why are you leaving me this way? Where did you go? I need to talk to you about Jeremiah and his struggles. I could take you space by space, but then I could take you even through history. I could walk you through people, some people like this, like John Henry Jowett, the preacher in the early 1900s who made an incredible work there in England, and yet he just spoke to his congregation and said, you seem to imagine that I have no ups and downs. You, you like think my life is always level. He says, it's some lofty stretch of spiritual attainment of unbroken joy and equanimity. He says, by no means, I am often perfectly rigid and everything appears most murky. He says, if you think my life is always easy, you're wrong. He says, there, I am often in a space where, man, everything feels wrong. It's wretched and everything feels dark. Charles Spurgeon would say it this way from his life. He says, I am the subject of such depressions of spirit so fearful that I hope none of you ever get to such extremes of wretchedness as I go. It's like, it gets so dark for me. I, get, so I hope you never have to get as dark as it is for me, Spurgeon says. There is a sense of gazing into this this morning that probably not the most exciting thing. Not that like, oh, I'm so glad to know that's there. But in one sense, it's helpful. It's helpful right now just to recognize, hey, we should not be ignorant of this. We should not be ignorant that most of us, not all, maybe not all in the same ways, will go through spaces where, the, the, where at times these dark nights of the soul, these spaces where it feels, hey, this is too hard. This is too much for me. Like, I don't know if I can continue. Like, this is so big and it's so crushing. And it's such a heavy weight. And that reality can be a part of our lives. And though not every trial gets to that extreme, Seeing it in that extreme helps us to even see it in the midst of it, to find that as we think about this, as we think about this, these very real troubles, and as Paul is telling us about his, well, obviously the lesson, I hope the, obvious, the lesson is obvious, our God is amazing. He is a God who comforts us in those times of sorrow. That's, again, the, the, the subject matter. That's how he's began uh, this letter of 2 Corinthians and how he began this section just reminding us that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who does comfort us, who comes alongside of us and speaks to us in the midst of our tribulations. He does that. 
He does that. And that's what happened for Paul. He wants to let us know, give us a glimpse of how God met him in the midst of that trial so that we can both see it and, well, grow in that. So go back and see it again. Let's start it from the beginning. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, our tribulation, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, is above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us and whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you also, helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. So there's a bunch of stuff he says in those verses, but in the midst of it, he gives us three things. Three things that met him in the midst of his dark night, his in the midst of his actual and real trouble that God comforted him, and we're being invited to see those, both so that maybe that can be comfort to us, but also helping us to be comfort to others. So let's talk about them. Let me just for space, just kind of just move that top part away. We'll come put it back in a few moments so we can see them together, but let's just notice the three things that God did that brought him comfort. The first one, again, is verse 9. Since we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. This is one of the things that was happening in the midst of this was it was making it so we had no trust in ourselves, but we had all of our trust found in God. That there is this trust in God, not in self, that became part of what met him in the midst of it, part of what worked in, in, in his life in that reality. Now, hear me clearly. There's this place of trusting God without understanding that is an absolutely massive help in the midst of trial. Now, you're probably already thinking it through. That's actually what God invites us to, right? Some of you know the verse by heart there in Proverbs 3 where it tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. What a beautiful verse. What a good one to commit to memory. Some of you have it up on plaques. It's great. We love it. No, we don't. Let's just be honest, okay? Let's just try to be honest for a moment. None of us want this. All of us here this morning actually want to trust God and understand. I mean, we're, we're fine trusting God. We just would like to understand. Like, God, like, why? Why is this happening? Like, how long is this going to happen? What in the world are you doing? We like it that way. Most of us, if we had the choice, would live our lives entirely within the realm of our understanding. Like, we like it that way. We like it. When, you know, we understand what's happening and we know how it's going to work out, you know, we're looking at the bills and they're coming due, but we have money in the account and we know it's like, I, I see how, I, I know what's coming and I, what we, when it, when we have no idea uh, what's happening, when we have no idea why we don't, we, it is not something any of us probably in our own strength would ever choose, but it is a space that God invites us to and it's a good space. There's so much that's beyond us. There's so much we can't understand. There's so much that limits us. And so God says, here's the thing I would like you to do. Trust me. You don't have to understand. You don't have to understand why. You don't understand what. But you can trust me. I mean, and there's a beautiful place. And I'm telling you, there's incredible hope. There's a strength that can be given in the midst of life that is found right here. 
In fact, maybe it's helpful to think about it this way. This is actually the strength where Job found strength. Out of our 66 books of the Bible, uh, the book of Job is perhaps the one that deals with this more than any other book that unpacks for us trouble. If you read through the book of Job, uh, you know. Here's a man that goes through trials that probably surpass all of us. I mean, he goes to a place where he loses everything financially. He finds his life destroyed. He finds everything taken from him. He finds all of his children killed before him, all of them wiped out. Then he finds himself entering into such physical ailments that, that both are miserable to feel, but isolating in every way. I mean, he is in just the, the zenith of trouble. That's how the book of Job begins and lets us know that he's a godly man. There's not a better man on planet earth than him. Nobody you know, doing better than him, and yet he enters into the darkest night imaginable. And so the majority of the book of Job is Job and his friends trying to face this with understanding, like trying to figure out why. Like, why is this happening? What do you need to do to get out of it? What's God doing? And they're all wrong. I mean, we know that because the end of the book, God will come back and tell us that all of Job's friends were wrong, like none of them had it right. And it's a troubling thing. And and yet we can find ourselves confused in the midst of it and think, well, how do we, what, what are we supposed to get out of this? Well, in the midst of this, Job is learning. In fact, you were with us last week. If we saw as we ended the service uh, by singing that song, Though You Slay Me, uh, which taken out of Job's words where he says, hey, though you slays me, even if life gets as bad as it could get, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him anyway. It's a good space. But it even gets better because that's where it ends for Job. So let's just imagine that you've never read the book of Job. And for some of you, you haven't. And, and maybe you'd want to. Maybe. It's a tough book to read. Um, uh, but, you know, so you're, 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 you, Job is in this really, really bad space, and everybody's giving their opinion, and none of it is helpful, and it only seems to be making it worse. And you find yourself thinking, where is this going to land? Like, how do we get an answer to this? And then the book ends with God. God shows up on the scene, and God literally steps in to, to answer Job. And if you'd never read that before, I wonder what you think he would say. I mean, God is going to step into this, and he's going to give comfort to Job, and he does. But can I tell you what he doesn't do? He doesn't explain it. He doesn't tell Job why he's going through the suffering. He doesn't tell Job what he's doing. He doesn't tell Job how long. He answers none of those questions. He doesn't give him any understanding of what he's going through. Instead, God just invites him to see him. God just invites him to see his greatness, his glory, his power, and Job does. And at the end of the book of Job, he just simply says it this way. He says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now I see you. Now my eye sees you. It's like I used to know about you, but I, now, I, now I see you. And I repent, I repent, he says, of, 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 in dust and ashes. And, and then God says, hey, you have, that's, that's the right. You've now spoken of me what is right. I want to tell you, it's a beautiful space. I want to tell you, it's a beautiful space. It's this place where you get to come and say, God, you're good. You're God. And you're trustworthy. That's, that, that's exactly what Job gets out of it, and that's what we're supposed to get from it, that so often the need isn't our understanding, isn't knowing why, how long, or what. It's, God, you're good. God, I see you. I believe you. I think about it. I think throughout the Scripture we'd find it that way. D David would talk about it over and over. He says it in Psalm 34. Trust in the Lord and do good. 
dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. He says, don't, don't be, a, you know, when you look at it and you find yourself oppressed by everything that's happening in our world and you, and you realize how unfair it is, he says, don't, 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 don't go there. Just trust him. Trust God and just, okay, God, I'm just going to believe you. I'm just going to feed on your faithfulness. I'm just going to rely on who you are. I think about it, if you're reading with us in the book of Isaiah, you read it yesterday, where it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. He says, I'm going to recognize God is what I need, and I'm going to trust him. In fact, he goes on and says, that's going to be my strength. That's going to be my song. It's just being able to say, God, you are what I need, and I'm going to trust you. In fact, it will go on in one of the most famous verses in the book of Isaiah, where it will say, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because... He trusts in you. It's a place. It's this place where he says, hey, you can have peace if you're focused on him and you trust him. When, you, when, you focus, when you're just recognizing who he is, it can do good in your life. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is in Jeremiah uh, when he describes it this way, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. Like, oh, how happy, how good it is for somebody who would say, hey, God, you're my trust. You're my hope, and he gives it to us as a visual picture. He says, For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green. It will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease from yielding fruit. I love that. In fact, it's one of the verses that kind of tie into our church logo. Some of you know we have this picture of a tree, and it's a little bit from Psalm 1, a little bit from this, a little bit from the abiding in Christ and being rooted in him. But it is this picture of saying, okay, we're rooted. Like, here's this blessed person who would just say, hey, I, I, I trust God. And, and that makes us both being able to survive through life and be fruitful and, and be able to make it through that. Why? Because God is the one that we've rooted our lives into. We've put our lives deeply and are trusting in who he is. But that's what he's inviting us to. He's inviting us into this place where you could trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding. That's what happened for Paul. He says, yeah, we got there. We got into the midst of this. And one of the things it did is, you know, he says, we looked at it and he says that we just had no trust in ourselves. I mean, any hope we had in ourselves, it evaporated. Any ability we had to fix it, understand it, we couldn't. Instead, all we had was trust in God. But it was that that met him. It was that that helped him. And I just want to say there is incredible real hope here. There is incredible comfort found here. And it's in so many facets I mean, I want you to understand that when we think about God who comforts us in all of our sorrow, it's not that he always uses these exact phrasings or wording, but I will tell you, if you have found God carry you through your trial, it is probably rooted in this. It is probably rooted into a place where God invited you to see him. Know that he is good, he's holy, he's trustworthy, he's sovereign, and he's God. And, and, and to find yourself trust, helpful there, I want to tell you it's an incredible and very real comfort. It was for the Apostle Paul. It was one of the things that held him in the midst of it. But it wasn't just trusting in God. It was also hope that was found in God's deliverance. Go back and see it there again in our verses. So at the end of verse 9 there, it tells us that he had this trust, not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, and whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Paul says we had this hope, we have this trust in God that he would be the one, and he uses it three ways, right? He says he, he has delivered us, he is delivering us, 
he will deliver us. Three times he says it, three times in the phrasing, and again, you just might note it. Verse 10, who delivered us, past tense, from so great a death, and present tense, does deliver us, and whom we trust that he still, future tense, will deliver us. Deliver, 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 rescue. So Paul said one of the things that found in his hope is this hope of God as his deliverer, this hope of God as his rescue. Now, I want to be honest, there are some Bible students that look at this and think what Paul is talking about is maybe how he even came out of that trouble, and because God rescued him from that trouble, or ones like that, that now in the midst of it, he's confident that God's going to carry him through that, and so the practical application, uh, they tell us, would be in the midst of those trials, just to try to remember what good things that God has done for you before, believing that he's going to do that, and that he's got that in front of you. Now, I just want to tell you, it's not totally unhelpful. And if that helps you, and if that's where your brain works, go ahead and go there. But then I want to say, I don't really think that's what it is. Um, And I don't think it's really that helpful. Why would I say that? Well, for two reasons. Having experienced just small trials, many of you guys have experienced much more trials than I have, but I've talked to some of you, I've walked with people through them. Having been one that's walked with some through trials, I can tell you, when it's a dark night of the soul, sometimes trying to remember good things that God has done in your life, they're gone. Like, you can't, it's like, I don't, I don't you, you, it, it's almost impossible to hold, like, oh, yeah, well, he rem- I remember six months ago, a year ago, it was so good, it was so great when he did that. It's like, I don't see that right now. It just feels dark for me. On top of that, if we're all together honest, we're not always going to make it out of the dark nights of the soul. Oh, don't take this as a scary thing, but let me just be honest. Sometimes we do. Many of the trials, even the dark nights of our soul, are temporary. It was for Job. Uh, Job's trials were deep and real, but he comes out of them. And and for many of us, that will happen for our lives as well. But not always, because we are going to die. Death is coming, and some of our dark nights might take us right up there. Now, yes, I mean, let's just be honest. Hey, heaven's coming, and and it'll be good on the other side of it, but there's no way to sit there and say, well, you know, like like it's always going to get better for us, like life is always going to turn out well for us. That is neither true nor helpful. In fact, I would tell you, that I think what's being just given to us is a bigger thing. It's a bigger thing. That the hope that's being given to us is not just a present hope, but in God's greatness. In fact, I would again use that word hope. So notice it again there in verse 10. He says, he who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust. Now, pause there. If you have the New King James, that's how it says it. It says, in whom we trust. It's probably not a great translation in the sense that uh, it's not the, really the word that's used for trust above this, and it's really the word that's translated most of the time in the Bible, hope. And I like that. I like that. Because hope is bigger than in the present moment. In fact, most of the times when the Bible uses the word hope, it's talking about our eternal hope. It's talking about the, the, the bigness of our confidence. And so I would tell you I think that's this. So when it says here in verse 10, He says, we look on a God who has delivered us, notice, from so great a death. Well, I would tell you, I think that's looking at the cross. I think that's looking back to what Jesus has done for us, that what Hebrews would say is we have so great a salvation, that there's a way of coming in here and says, you know what I understand is that, hey, like we sang it in song a moment ago, right? My sin, not in part, but the whole It is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well, he says, it is well with my soul. 
there's a weight that would look and say, Jesus died for me. Like, he paid the price for my sin, so I am defeat. Death is no longer my enemy. I mean, the great enemy of death, done. Like, I, 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 it no longer is that which is that, that that is the strength there because I look back and see the cross. I see what Jesus has done. Now, that can carry me into this moment because I know that what God has started, he's going to complete. That in this moment, he's, he's not going to leave me alone. And so there is a present hope in the midst of that, but that ultimately carries us to our eternal hope, to this place where we would look and say, here's my hope. I know this isn't the end of the story for me. And that's actually how he prefaced it. So go back and see it there in verse 9. He said, yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He says, our trust is in God who raises the dead, that he is that deliverer who does that, that finds this place in our lives. Now, here's where I just want you to think it through for a moment. This is real hope. I mean, this is that space that if you can see it, that you can say, hey, in the middle of a dark night of the soul, in the middle of a hard thing, if you could say, hey, Jesus died for me and heaven is my future, no matter what really happens here, I'm okay. This is kind of one of those for you guys who have been with us in the Seder or walked through some of that stuff that we do when we talk about a day on new moment, this place where you'd say, hey, it's enough. If nothing else ever goes right for me, but I have Jesus dying on the cross for me and I have heaven as my future, I have enough to carry me through all that life could throw at me. I have hope that is resilient. That's exactly what God's talking to us about. I think about it in one of the verses that we just looked at a moment ago, and I just highlight it quickly. There in Jeremiah 17, where he says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and his hope is the Lord. I love that. I love that he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. I want to, I want to be your hope. I want to be that that gives you hope. I want to give you, be that that secures you. I want to give, be that that gives you that. That's what Jesus would talk about. When he told us what life would be like, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love Jesus' honesty. He says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. That's the same word that's used in our text. That's the thalipsis. That's overwhelming weight. You're going to have stuff that crushes you in this world. Yeah, that's going to happen. But he says, "I I don't want you to give up because I've already won. I died on the cross for you. The world is defeated. I've overcome because I've overcome. You're going to overcome. That You got to know that there's a space of looking into this. This is not the end of our story. This is not how it ends for us. It's hope. I like the picture in Hebrews when it pictures this hope. It tells us this hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. It's a great verse. Uh, the one who enters the presence behind the veil, that's Jesus. That's him dying on the cross for us, entering into heaven. But the picture is, is that you and I have an anchor, an anchor. Now, we've talked about this idea of of sorrows like sea billows rolling, and so hopefully even in that image you could feel it. There's an anchor that doesn't move. I mean, it is secure and steadfast. And the kind of thing is that you could reach out and grab that anchor and say, okay, this one's strong. Like, no matter what happens, Jesus won. And eternity is mine, and and heaven is mine. Like, this is not where it ends. And by itself, both true, but incredibly life-giving. I just want to, again, tell you, when you're thinking about this, 
Paul is letting us know, and I want to know you to know that this is incredible comfort. That God who comes alongside us to comfort us in the midst of our sorrow will often remind us of this. Just kind of speaking into us, hey, this is not how it ends for you. This is not the end of your story. Don't, 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 don't be that person that feels that whatever you're going through, that this is now defining your existence, or this is now how it's always going to be. It is not, and that's incredible hope. That's a comfort that can meet us. That's a comfort that Paul found in the midst of this, where he was able to find that in God. So he had a trust, a trust in God, not in himself. He found a hope in God's deliverance, and the one who is that rescue, but he adds one more thing. Notice it with me as he's giving it to us there. <coughs> he says it in verse 11 this way, you also, helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on behalf for the gift granted to us through many. That's a really good verse, but maybe you can, okay, what did we just say? Well, he's talking about prayer. He's saying one of the things that helped him was that people were praying for him that their prayers were together with him. In fact, it's a really interesting phrase. It's used only here uh, in the entire New Testament. It has this idea of, of that which is, again, helping together with, helping together with, and it has something here that as he was going through that and people were praying for him, he knew. He knew it wasn't just them, you know, looking on from the outside, um, them like, hey, we're praying for you, but really prayer got in there with him, and it was helping, and it helped him together so that their prayers were upholding him, them praying for him in the midst of it. Paul's like, you were praying for me. He's writing to the church in Corinth. He's like, you knew what I was going through, and I know you were praying for me, and he says one of the benefits of that prayer is you got to rejoice in a God that answers that prayer, for he says it again this way, he says, you know, you were helping together, you also helping together in prayer for us, that, what that did, is that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Prayer works, prayer works, we, we look at trials, we look at troubles, and, and we're not exempt from them, and, and God doesn't rescue us out of all of them, but we do understand this, that our God is a God who hears and answers prayer. And without spending a ton of time on that right at this moment, it does work. And maybe the easiest way to understand what he just said is for some of you, you've done this very thing. Here's what it looked like. So somebody you care about, somebody you love, maybe somebody in this church entered into a dark night of their soul. Um, maybe it was their marriage was falling apart. Maybe it was cancer. Maybe they were going through something really hard and, and it was heavy for you and you love them. And so you went to him and you would tell him, hey, I'm praying for you. Boy, I'm I don't know what else to do, but I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. And you did. You, you prayed with them through that. And here's what I know. For some of you, you could look at some of those places and you remember when God answered those requests. When God answered them and people came out the other side and, and, and maybe they made it through the cancer and the marriage was restored and you were the one that were like, yay, God, <laughs> like, yay, God. I mean, this is, I, I got to participate in going through a trial with somebody by praying for them in the midst of it. Now, again, life is life, and God carries us through the trials, and sometimes he answers in ways we don't want him to answer, and he takes people home and, and all of those things, but he heard our requests, and he prayed, 
And there's something about that space that he's just saying, hey, that's what you get to be a part of. When you pray with people through their trials, it's a space that not only do you get to see help, that you help them to gather, but you get to be a part of the victory. Now, really, really good stuff in the midst of it, but let's go back to Paul's heart. Because here's what he's letting us know is that really did help. That helped him. That helped him. And, and he was glad that they got to be a part of it so they could be a part of the other side of it. But there was real comfort in knowing that people were praying. And there really is. There's real comfort in knowing that when you're going through something and, and that people are praying for you, there's, a, there's, there's something strong there. It really is more than, than, than words can say. It does help. It does help together with. Wow, so much more I could say, but let's back up for a moment. So we're thinking about these things, and I'm just telling you, Paul went through a really hard space, and he made it. And, and part of what carried him through was he, he learned to trust in God, he, not in himself. He, he found hope in God's deliverance and hope in what he was, and he was helped by people praying for him. Now, again, as we're thinking about that, let me back it up one more step and just put all the things that we've talked about this morning. So we've talked about very real trouble, very, very real trouble, and very, very real comfort. So what are we supposed to do with that? Well, you know what? I, I know that God can meet us in a lot of different ways, but I want to pick four. I want to pick four things right now, and I want to speak to four different people. And I think they're probably, one of you in all of these spaces are probably here. And somehow as I say it, I'm just hoping it lands, and I would just like to ask you to, to just journey with me in a moment as we think about this. So the first person I want to speak to this morning is the person is in this right now. You're here this morning, and it just could not be more appropriate because you're in a dark night of the soul. It's rough. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but you feel overwhelmed. You feel overwhelmed. You feel like it's too much for me. I, I, I don't know how to do this. I feel like I'm about to die. I feel like I'm about to die. And if you're here this morning, I just want you to hear us that we care, and this is not an abnormal thing. It would do good all by itself not to be ignorant. These are real spaces that life goes through for God's people. That, the, that you know, many of the most godly people in the Bible and the God, most godly people in history have gone through exactly such things. It would do good just to know that you're not alone. But this morning, I'm offering you comfort. I'm offering you comfort. I'm offering you a place, I'm just going to tell you, there's a God you can trust in. You can trust Him. Uh, you may not understand why or what He's doing, but you can trust Him. And, and, and there's a beautiful place to, to just step towards that, to step towards it and grab hold of this trust in God, and I'm offering it to you. And then I'm offering you an anchor for your soul, a place where you would hope in Him, where you would recognize, you know what? Jesus died, heaven is my future, and that will hold me. I mean, that can carry me one more day. That can help me in the midst of it, because these things are absolutely true. And if you're in a dark night of your soul, I want to tell you, this can hold you. This, this can help you. This can carry you. But I offer you the third thing as well. We would like to pray for you. And God's people around you would like to pray for you. Now, some of you do that well. You, you, you make sure that when you're going through hard things, you let us know. But I'm trying to tell you, some of you don't. It's a weird thing. I don't know what it is. I think it's probably our own independence, our own arrogance. But sometimes you could go through things. And I'm just telling you, it would help you just to have people praying for you. You don't have to unpack it all for us. You don't have to, you know, tell us all the, 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 the terrible things that you feel. You could just say, hey, it's a, would you pray for me? 
I just need, I need prayer. I need, I need people to pray with me through this. And, and I, we're willing, and, and we want to. And I'm just telling you, I hope you find that in the body of Christ because it is something that does help. It is something that does help. Paul found it to be that way. He found that comfort. And if you're in that dark night this morning, I offer it to you. I hope you would hear it. I hope you would embrace it and find that you're not alone and he would meet you in the midst of that. So I am speaking to that person, but now let me switch it to a second person. Many of us are here this morning and you're not in a dark night of the soul. Maybe you've been through it and you're able to kind of understand it. Maybe you haven't. And and I don't want to be like a prophet of doom or any of those things, but it's probably coming. I mean, it's probably coming in one way or another. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to be mean. And you're like, well, Jim, that's just a bummer. Thank you so much. You're like, no, but I just, sometimes that honesty, I mean, there's probably spaces that are coming. Um, And, you know, that, that may be really, really hard. But it would do you good to not be unaware of that, to not be surprised to not do what Peter says. I don't want you to get there and go, what in the world is this? Why is a fiery trial? I, don't, I, I never thought such a thing would happen in my life. It probably does in some spaces. And it would do you good to have these things at the ready, to be able to say, okay, I'm gonna trust God. <laughs> I'm gonna trust him. I don't know what he's doing, but I can trust him and I'm gonna find hope in him and I'm gonna ask people to pray. I tell you, these things and more are powerful comforts and powerful realities. And if it does good into your life just to be one who is, you know, equipped and ready so that if and when those days come, you're like, okay, that could happen. I saw it. I'm ready. I'm ready to get there. So if that's you here this morning that needs to hear it, probably it's many of us that do, I offer it to you. So I'm speaking to four people right now. I talked to the person who's in the dark night, talked to many of us about being ready for it, but now we want to switch the gears. Because see, we think about this. We think about this place where God tells us, hey, I'm a God who comfort, who comforts us in all of our weakness. And he does that. He does it in these things. He does it in trust. He does it in hope. He does it in a place that would do that. But it isn't just supposed to end with us. It's not just supposed to be that he carries us through the day and and through the hardship. It's supposed to be that God comforts us that we can comfort others. That what we learn in some of those dark nights strengthens us to be able to give comfort to others. So I just want to talk to you about doing that. And can I come back and tell you, hey, if you're going to comfort people, make it real comfort. Many of the times what needs to happen is this the way that God met you. Uh, even in small trials. It doesn't mean you went through the same thing that somebody else went through, but it's in that. And I would guess if God really meets you, it's probably going to be, hey, trust me, hope in me. You know, I think it's probably going to be somewhere in those categories. At the same moment, let's be done with things that are not comforting. It's a weird deal. Even when God doesn't comfort you in some of these things, it's a weird thing that we as Christians can try to comfort people with comfort that doesn't even work for us. You know, again, I already talked to you about it a moment ago. I said, you know, sometimes we have it in our brain, and so we look at somebody going through a hard time, and we're like, hey, God's not going to give you more than you can bear. Did that really ever help you? I mean, have has that one time in a dark night been that that carried you? No. Be done with that. Don't make it that. Don't be one of those that offer up one of those silly platitudes, like, I guess God needed another angel. You know, guess he needed him at home, needed him more than he needed you. Like, really? Like, that ever help anybody? I mean, did that, is that ever rooted in truth? No. And yet sometimes we find ourselves trying to figure out something to say because we almost feel like I need to say something. 
We, we, we find ourselves moving towards like Job's comforters, trying to unpack and help people figure out why they are where they are. And sometimes it's because these things almost feel small to us. Like, so I'm going to go to somebody and I'm going to tell them to trust God and hope in heaven and I'm praying for them? I, that just feels like I'm not doing enough. You would do massive. You would do massive. If you could just look at somebody in a hard space and say, hey, I'm not trying to understand you. I'm not trying to figure it all out either. Let's just trust God and pray. Let's just, let's just you and I, we'll just, we'll just trust Him. We'll pray together and hope in heaven. And I don't know what else to tell you. I don't know what else to tell you. And it's a wonderful thing. We find, actually, that's all I really needed to hear. And it's a weird thing that some of us are giving comfort that is so not comforting. Sometimes we are adding to people's stress. Don't do it. Learn where it's not. Learn to be someone who is comforting other people with the comfort that God is comforting you. That is what he's doing. That's a big part of our lives. Learn to do it better. Learn to do it better. Be a good comforter. And in that, be able to give even these kinds of things. So I've spoken to three. I've told you the person who's suffering. I've encouraged all of us to be ready. I've talked to us about comforting. But I want to talk one more time about comforting, and now I want to tell you who I'm talking to. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to talk to you for just a moment. Life is hard, and it is hard for all of us. It's not just Christians who go through trials and tribulations. Everybody goes through trials and tribulations. Life is hard. It's a broken world out there. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, can I say this in the most gentle and loving way? I have no idea how you do it. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I, I look at people in our world, it's like, how in the world do you make it through a day? How do you survive? I mean, life's hard. It's hard sometimes. I don't know how you do it. And I know some of you aren't. Some of you are, are, are drinking or drugs, kind of just you're doing everything you can to, to stay just out of thinking about it because thinking about life is too hard. Some of you are workaholics, and, and you're a workaholic because you just don't want to think. You know, the moment you start thinking about the world you're living and the life you're living, it, it, it'll, it'll destroy you. And I just want to tell you, I understand. And, and we understand. One of the reasons that we as Christians are still in this world and one of the reasons we still go through trouble and trials, which is what we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, is that we're able to look at you and say, it is hard. Life is hard. And there are moments that are overwhelming. And there are things that are too hard. I go through them too. But you know what? I have a place to run. I have a God that I can trust in. I have a hope that's going to carry me past this life. I don't know how you make it without this. I don't know how you make it without what I have. I honestly don't, and I'm offering it to you today. I'm, I'm offering it to you not as someone who's looking down at you and saying, boy, I don't know, I, you know we, life is so easy for me. It is not. But I have someone. I have a God I trust. I have a hope that carries me through this life, and I have Christians that pray for me, and I don't know how you make it without that. I don't know how you make it without that, and I invite you not to. I invite you to Jesus. I invite you to give your life to Jesus. I invite you to find hope and trust and help in him and in God's people. And if that is you today, then I want to be one. We want to be people that speak such real comfort into your life in a real world. So that's where we're going to end this morning. You can close your Bibles, notebooks, whatever it is you have open. And wherever that's landed, if that's you that needs to surrender your life to Jesus, oh, we plead with you that you would. If you're the one that needs that comfort, get it today. 
If you're in the midst of that thinking, okay, I need to be ready for this, but I, I need to be better at comforting, receive that today. May God teach us to hear his comfort and be those who comfort others. Would you take a moment and pray to him with that? Whatever he's spoken to you this morning, would you talk to him about that? I'll do the same. And then we're going to close together in worship, in prayer in just a moment. But this is your moment just to talk to God about what he's talked to you about. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for examples in your words that sometimes help us to see things maybe more clearly, sometimes more applicably. God, I thank you that you're a God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulation. We watch that happen in the Apostle Paul, and it's helpful to watch this dark night of his soul, this space where life became too much. He was overwhelmed, felt like he was going to die. And you met him. And you carried him through with a trust in you and a hope in you and the prayers of your people. Thank you. Thank you for that. Would you help it just to land where it needs to land? In anybody who's in that space right now, that they could find exactly such comfort. Lord, that you would work that even at this moment. These strengthen in all of our lives that we would be equipped for such things. But God, would then would you help it to become that which we share? That we'd be a people that embrace the gospel and speak the gospel. We speak true hope into believers that we offer them what is absolutely solid, trusting you and hoping in you. God, may we give real comfort. Help us to be done with platitudes that help nobody. May we give real things. And God, may we be that to the world. For those here that don't know you, who, who are going through a really hard world and don't have the hope that we have, don't have the trust that we have, God, I pray for them. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they're handling it. It's overwhelming. God, draw these to you. Draw these to, to trusting in you, believing in you, being saved, to being delivered delivered from so great a death, being taken to that eternal home that is our end of story. God, work a good work in the midst of that. I cry out for it for all of us here as I trust you and I thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.